Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or VEDS. This is Katie, your host, and today I have Rebecca with us to share her story with VEDS. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Katie. Thank you so much for doing this interview. I'm really excited to have you share your story. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So when were you diagnosed with VEDS? I was diagnosed at the end of 2016. Um, I had had several major medical events before that, but in 2016, we moved to Boston and in getting established with doctors there, that's when I met docs who kind of for the first time knew about VEDS and pretty much immediately tested um, me. And of course, I came back positive. So what were some of those medical events? I know you had a complicated history prior to this, right? I, I did. I kind of had three pretty major medical events. Um, when I was 18, I had a renal artery dissection. Um, it presented as very high blood pressure when I went to go give donate blood at high school in the high school blood drive. Um, and we didn't really have a great reason why that happened, but I recovered well. And to be honest, I was a senior in high school and I was mostly concerned about, you know, whether I would miss you know, college band auditions and how bad my bruising was and when I could go to the lake with my friends, you know, so it was one of these weird things that happened, but I recovered and moved on. And then right before my 21st birthday in college, I had my first heart attack, um, which we now know was, or was probably a dissection of the coronary artery or SCAD, spontaneous coronary artery dissection. Mm-hmm. And again, it was one of these, I was just like, huge crazy medical thing and in retrospect somebody in medicine probably should have tried to connect these two things but there wasn't an obvious connection and again for me I was 21 I was in college I was focused on getting back to running I ran a lot at that point and applying to grad school so I think I was kind of in this mindset of okay like this happened this was not good Um, (laughs) but I got to move on and I did you know and eventually it kind of became this weird thing in my medical history um, and my husband's in the military, so every time we moved and I saw new doctors, you know, I was this healthy girl in my 20s with these two weird medical things in my history, but I was stable. So nobody really spent a lot of time looking into it because we didn't really need to. And then I had two relatively uneventful pregnancies, um, both monitored heavily just because of my history. And we really thought that was that. And then in 2015, I was six months postpartum with my youngest, and I had another dissection of my coronary artery, another Mm -hmm. SCAD heart attack. And that one um, also caused cardiac arrest when I was out running with some friends. And fortunately, I was with friends, and these amazing women did CPR and kept me alive. And um, I spent most of the rest of 2015 kind of in and out of the hospital with complications from that. And, you know, it's tricky because survival of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is, is pretty low. It's about 5 to 10% chance of survival, not even among vets, just among the general population. And so the fact that I survived, complications were expected. Um, you know, I had lots of weird things. My defibrillator would perforate. I'd have, you know, things that weren't expected, but, but we were really just trying to put out the fires then. Um, So you have an implanted defibrillator? I do, I do. Um, And, you know, I finally got stable and we did start looking for underlying causes throughout that. Everybody at that point, I think, was ready to say, okay, this is no longer 
you know, all random things. Um, but then in 2016, we had the opportunity to move to Boston. And um, so as we moved there and I was getting established with a medical team there, I think kind of two things came to be. One, you know, I was for the, you know, we weren't putting out fires anymore. Um, we, were able, we were able to really look at my medical history. And two, Boston is just such a medical research center mm -hmm. that, you know, it was like once I met cardiologists that knew about VEDS, um, I think I learned about VEDS and in that same week had, you know, cardiologists say, why have you not been tested for this? We need to do it. I'm pretty sure this is it. And, and so at that point, it, it, um, you know, we were able to diagnose it. Yeah. What did, what did going quickly. through that feel like, like for somebody to meet you and say, Hey, we need to test you for this rare condition. Had you ever heard of it before? No. You know, so <laughs> I had, you know, it was, it was this, it was pretty wild. Um, first of all, I, I'm still seeing these docs, um, this group in Boston and just amazing medical providers. Um, in terms of knowing my history and really being prepared for visits, it's just awesome to walk into a clinic visit and, you know, the doctors are like, okay, we've reviewed your history and, um, already have some ideas. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, you know, certainly, and I think for all, a lot of us, you know, certainly getting that diagnosis is scary, um, terrifying even, but to another extent, I had already had all these major complications. Um, so it's also kind of putting a name to it, making a plan. Um, yeah. So prior to this, you had already had a renal artery <laughs> dissection and um, a heart attack that was probably artery. a dissection. Yep. Yeah. And then a cardiac arrest with an implanted defibrillator. Right. <laughs> and so it is, I always laugh and I'm like, you know, I'm super healthy except for like these crazy things. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So I had had those and I, I think... At that point, you know, we really were still diagnosing most of these things as bad luck. Um, and, and certainly that, I'm sure there is some of that involved, but you know, when your diagnosis is bad luck, then your like management plan is cross your fingers and hope for good luck. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, so for me, there was also that little bit of relief of like, okay, now we actually have something that we can put our finger on and something that'll guide management. You know, we're not just throwing our, you know, making wild guesses. We are at least, you know, going based on something. Yeah. And how, so since your diagnosis, um, have you had any complications or, or anything? Like how has your like daily life changed, if at all? Um, so not any major complications I've had. Um, a defibrillator replacement so that went really well, actually. Um, my my first one that didn't have complications. Um, but aside from that, you know, I, I've done really well medically. Um, you know, certainly life changing from that. I think there's that a perspective shift for sure. Mm -hmm. I think all of us on this earth, you know, we we don't know how long we have physically on the earth. Like we don't know day to day, we, nothing is guaranteed. Um, but I think to some extent, most of us are able to not really think about that in our thirties. Um, and I think having the diagnosis for sure really made, you know, me examine that and really be 
trying to be very deliberate about what we do, what I do each day, what I want to be part of, what I say yes to, what I say no to. Yeah, that's a that's a big it's a big thing. It's hard to hard to deal with and try to balance that, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, for example, at the very beginning, you know, I had been looking for a part-time job just because my kids were little, but I had accepted a full-time position. Um, and then right after diagnosis, it was like, made me realize like, no, like, I'm not willing to make, this is one compromise I'm not willing to make. I will, you know, need to be part-time. Um, and certainly different people have different thresholds on that. But um, I think for me, really highlighted like, okay, which are, what are the things that, I, I really, really need and want, and the time to do them is now. Yeah. So you're you're in the medical profession, right? I am. I'm a PA or physician assistant in pediatric primary care. Very cool. How has that impacted? Like, has that impacted your thought processes at all? You think? Ab- absolutely. I think it. Um, you know, certainly having the VEDS diagnosis affects me as a clinician. Um, I think really, really truly understanding what people are navigating and going through. So many people are going through tough things. And I think I, you know, intimately understand how moments and diagnoses and support stick with people and um, helping patients and families navigate that. I think it also really helps me with the uncertainty of events. I know a lot of us with that can be frustrated with like the diagnostic odyssey and mm-hmm. you know, just these, some of the frustrations with that. But I think I also know medical training, you know, in medical training, we learn so much, but we can't possibly know everything about everything. Um, and so I think I have, I, I appreciate that I have that perspective in terms of, you know, every clinician cannot know everything about <laughs> a rare diagnosis. You know, the fact is, is, you know, for for me as a patient, this is a really, really big thing. But it is, you know, in the gr- huge medical world, it is a rare diagnosis. It is a rare disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, it really highlights the importance of a medical team, you know, having, you know, great doctors who work together. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that can make all the difference in the world. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, for me, I like it just gives me a lot of hope and reassurance to know that I have, um, you know, a med- <laughs> you know, my medical team that will take care of me. And like, for example, I, when I had this defibrillator replacement a little bit unexpectedly this past fall, just knowing like, okay, you know, my cardiologist knows who I am. My PC is watching out, you know, making sure everybody's connected and what we need to do to prepare for this procedure. And, and that's just, a, that's really reassuring, you know, as a patient. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So you have two kids, right? I do. They are six and nine. And do they have beds? They do not, fortunately. We did decide to um, have them tested. I know know, different people make different decisions um, about that, but just given my medical history along with, as far as medical events, along with the diagnosis of EDS, we kind of knew that they would be treated as if they had VEDS regardless until we could prove otherwise. Um, so we did go ahead and test them. Um, we're very, very thankful that they are, we're both negative. Oh, that's so great to hear. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. It was a huge relief. You know. 
Yeah, that no. that has to be. Did you sell like how did you guys celebrate that moment? Do they know uh, that they were being tested for something really scary? So no, they were still let's see, they must have been two and a half and five. Um and so we you know, with me being in medicine too, we we're pretty open about you know, talking about what we're checking for and you know, we're looking to, you know, ch- do your checkup. Everybody's body's different. Um and so we knew they yeah, they they knew they were getting their blood drawn, of course, and you know, we were checking up on their heart. Um, I think at first it was disbelief. Um, there is kind of some suspicion that one of them, just based on clinical features, was possibly positive, and so we had kind of mentally prepared ourselves for that. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that kind of helps me, and I, I'm certainly a logic doer type person, so this may not apply to everybody, but for me... I just, I really kept thinking with them, like, it already is or isn't. You know, their DNA is already set. What we're find, what we're doing is we're simply finding out mm-hmm. um, to be able to make decisions, you know, going forward. Yeah. Um, so I think it helps with that, but it certainly didn't take away the fact that it was a scary month. But we are very, very grateful, of course. Congratulations. Are you the first in your family? I am. Um, nobody else have been diagnosed, and since my diagnosis, both of my sisters have been tested and um, were negative. And that, another, again, just huge relief. It's, I think that was one of my big concerns, to be honest. You know, for me, being that it's a genetic, you know, disorder, for me, I had already had these medical things, so it was finding an finding some explanation. Mm-hmm. Whereas my kids and my sisters are healthy and living their life and doing their thing and realizing, I think it was kind of having that conversation of like, okay, guys, like, this is not just Rebecca's crazy medical thing. This, this could affect you too. Um, yeah. How did you, how did you deal with that as a family? Because I know I've heard from some people that they have problems getting their family to either take it seriously or even want to get tested like, were they pretty receptive to it, or how did you, how did you communicate? My sisters definitely, I think, were. Um, you know, it's tough. It is, I, I completely sympathize because it's such a, such a big decision um, to get tested and to pursue that. Um, we were really fortunate just in the workup of my kids. Um, Again, being in Boston, we met with, you know, not only cardiology, but psychology and social work and um, a whole team to kind of help my husband and I think through mm-hmm. what do what will we do with this information? You know, how will this have an impact? Um, and honestly, I think those discussions not only helped us in terms of thinking about testing our children, but also in terms of me understanding a little bit more about um, what my family members would be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and both my sisters were interested in getting tested. Um, and so you know, they, they went ahead and pursued that. My parents haven't. Um, you know, and again, every, it's personal for everybody, but I definitely you know, can understand they talked with their physician about it and thinking about their age and medical history and you know, decided not to pursue it. Um, but again, it, it definitely a relief, you know, finding out once I knew that all four, you know, both my sisters and both my kids were negative um, to kind of know, okay, it stops here. Yeah. 
That has to be a huge relief. For Definitely. Sure. So I want to go back because I think I heard something at the beginning of this interview and I just want to, I want to go back to it if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned that your first um, like renal artery dissection showed up as kind of like this hypertension event. Was it during a blood draw or after a blood draw? Was it caused by the blood draw? Yeah. So I went to um, donate blood. We were having just a high school blood drive and I went to donate blood. And one of the things they do is take your blood pressure um, before doing that. And my blood pressure was sky high. And as a very fit, active, thin high schooler, it was it was pretty surprising. And so I wasn't able to give blood. We went to see my primary care provider that, that afternoon. And, and they pretty quickly came to something with the renal artery. And, you know, we, we now believe, you know, I call it a renal artery dissection because that's, you know, what we now believe it probably was. At the time, we were just calling it a renal artery stenosis or some sort of blockage of the renal artery. Um, free, not frequently, but, you know, if, because that's not something that frequently happens. But if you have a blockage of the renal artery in a young woman, um, FMD or fibromuscular dysplasia can be a cause of that. And so, you know, for a little bit, it was, well, you know, maybe this was it. But again, it's it's one of those things that is all kind of guessing, um, yeah. to be honest. It was like, okay, well, this is, this, this is as much of a construct as we can come up with. It, it you know, that doesn't, it's not going to impact what we do next. Um, so, you know, it was kind of, <laughs> Again, trying to find, you know, okay, what could this be? Let's make, trying to make sense of Pieces. things that were completely nonsensical, right? You know, 18-year-old with this <laughs> problem in the <laughs> renal artery. Um, yeah. You know, certainly in retro, it, it's always interesting to you now, I can look back and it's like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but at the time, you know, you're, you have these weird medical things happening to somebody who otherwise has no clues for you. Yeah, as a provider, I'm, I'm sure I can only imagine those doctors, you know, trying to look at this like, what in the world? Yeah. Um, Do you have any outward signs of vets? Um, so definitely easy bruising. I always, um, always a very thin skin, bruise and bleed easily. I, we were talking about high school marching band and I played the drums and I, I remember always having bruises on my hips and my shoulders and everything. And, um, you know, or playing volleyball in gym class. And it was one of those where it was just like, yeah, I know those are always- Volleyball's rough on the wrist. It is. I remember always (laughs) just being completely bruised. Um, But it was one of those things that, you know, it's like, okay, well, this just is what it is. Um, You know, and other physical, you know, the attached ear lobes and kind of thin lips and some of those, um, you know, when you look at it. But again, I think as all of us have found you know, you look at that list of um, kind of facial features, and physical attributes. And I remember having this conversation with my sisters after I was diagnosed, like, do not just look at this list and completely freak out because a lot of people can probably find a couple things on here. Um, but, but the bruising, definitely. And I yeah. still, you know, it's always that question of, do I put a bandaid on this? Because I know that's going to rip my skin. Um, you yeah, know, but... I think for a lot of it, I just, I felt like, you know, this is just how, how it is. I didn't, it's, it's okay, normal. this is super crazy. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes 
that mindset can be protective. Other times I certainly have to stay in check that, you know, I'm not simply avoiding feeling hard feelings, you know, and dismissing that this can be really crazy. Um, Do you have any good coping strategies that you use for hard days? Oh, that is like the grand life question. <laughs> um, but, you know, trying, trying lots of things. I think it's something all of us are, you know, hopefully working towards. I have a wonderful therapist who's, who's just lovely and um, some good friends that know the diagnosis and kind of understand just how multifactorial you're thinking about all these things, you know, and like I'm thinking about parenting things, but in the back of my head, I also have this like, you know, textbook life expectancy and all these other things that go in the back of your head. I think trying to stay grounded, trying to, you know, keep up with, you know, I, we, as a family, we do our gratitude journal every day and, you know, mm-hmm. connecting through faith and community and trying to stay active. Um, yeah, I, I live in Connecticut now, so it's cold and hard to do that in the winter sometimes, but um, I think it always helps. (laughs) So now that you've had your diagnosis for, I guess, a little over four years, right? Almost five years. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. So what's some advice that you would give somebody who's just receiving their diagnosis? Oi. um, Yeah, I think taking a breath, taking it slow, you know, it's a lot to process. Um, You know, again, I kind of think that it, it, it was already there, you know, when you just get a diagnosis, you know, we've had, you know, we had meds our whole life. It's now that we know, and now we can make, you know, appropriate plans and and decisions going forward. Mm -hmm. I think trying to, I know for me, that was protective and helpful um, in kind of accepting that. And, um, you know, of course, you know, I put in my, two cents on medical providers too. And I know it's frustrating, you know, a lot of people right after diagnosis have this frustration about the journey, you know, to diagnosis and how exhausting that is. But um, medical providers are there to help and, you know, finding that right medical team. And once you do have that, it can be, you know, it's so, so reassuring. It definitely just makes me feel a lot more confident in emergency planning, you know, to have that in place. Do you um, have so, any tips, like, from the inside of the, you know, you're in the medical community, like, what kind of tips do you have for finding that care? And it's still team? hard. It's still hard. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I first moved to Boston, I remember talking to one of my friends who's also in medicine and being like, because we didn't have any diagnosis for any of this at this point, and I'm like, I remember telling her, like, I just need somebody who's nice. Like, like I don't <laughs> even know what specialty of cardiology I need right now. I just need somebody who's nice. Like, mm-hmm. um but honestly, that's how kind of I, I got in. I, um, for me, since the majority of my event, events have been cardiovascular, um, we started with cardiology, and that's who tested me and um, that kind of manages my care more or less. Um, so my main cardiologist, um, there's a vascular surgeon that works with them, and so I kind of branch out from that, essentially. And then one of my cardiologists recommended my PCP. Um, nice. And so I was, you know, I feel fortunate that it came from there. And then my PCP does a really great job of just kind of connecting. I, I still remember being just in, 
you know, shock after, and I think it was the end of like one of the, my first appointments with her. She's like, okay, so I'm going to, you know, email everybody and make sure everybody's on the same page. And I just kind of look at her like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Like, that's all we need. That's is... probably why your cardiologist recommended her. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, she's phenomenal. Like, she wants to commute to Boston and, yeah. and if she's ever taking new patients, like grab her in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> That's wonderful. So, so really, definitely. it's um, branching out from the expert that you have. That's kind you. of where it worked with me. Is you know, we we started with cardiology. Um, mm -hmm. That was kind of my most pressing need. That's kind of where I've I've been centered. I know, you know, other people, you know, have had more, you know, bowel dissect, you know, other parts of the body. So maybe you know, going from there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's probably also helpful, just because being in cardiology, like. It, that was already such a tight connection to vets um, that they were, that was, he was already familiar with it. So it's a genetic cardiac guy. And I'm going to throw a plug in here. I think by the time that this episode is released on the last Sunday of March, um, the vets movement will have just done a webinar with Dr. Peter Byers on creating a care team for vets. So this is surprisingly awesome. relevant timing. Yes. To have perfect. This conversation. Perfect. So um, if you're listening and you didn't catch that webinar, it'll probably be up by the time you're hearing this episode on the vetsmovement.org. Awesome. Yeah, no, that, that is great. Cause I think it's something that kind of can come across as daunting, but again, it's, I, I know I keep repeating this, but it's, it really has provided me such reassurance. Um, yeah. It's hard to get a good care team, but when you have one, it's incredible. Oh yeah. Oh, I told my husband, I said, you know, no matter where we move next, I will be commuting to Boston for medical care. <laughs> I still do that to Seattle. <laughs> yeah. But like, we'll be good. Like, visit friends will be good <laughs> that's wonderful is there so, anything else about your story that you want to share or did we catch everything i think that really kind of covered covered most of it you know i really appreciate um the, the veds movement i think you know getting that information together i really appreciate you doing the podcast you know and being able to you know connect with other people um with veds it's it's interesting, you know, because we each have journey seems like a um, well, kitschy word right now, but you know, we each have this different <laughs> journey of of how how you know, things have process you know, progressed. But um, I think it's always reassuring to hear, you know, and just know that we're not alone and other people are going through it. So definitely, I appreciate is, that. No, yeah, thank you so much. This podcast is really close to my heart. It's like one of the I think I started it about a year after I was diagnosed and I've been talking to people with vets ever since and it has been a very healing experience for me but also just um, meeting everybody and just everybody is so incredible and I just love this whole community so much so I really appreciate that oh absolutely I really appreciate you sharing your story too yeah thank you all right well um Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Rebecca, for sharing your story again. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. We have episodes on the last Sunday of every month, and we will see you soon.